Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today I believe Sarah is going to go ahead and go first. Yes, I'm going to talk about old money, not as in people who are rich and they've been rich for a long time, but as in old unfit currency. Awesome. So what is old money? So have you ever had a crusty, ripped up dollar bill that you just, it was like your only dollar bill, that you just hope beyond hope that the vending machine would take because the only dollar bill you had? Yes. This was, of course, we before the vending machines took credit cards and Apple Pay or Dragon Pay or whatever. Well, what when a bank gets a bill, it may decide that it's too torn up or dirty to circulate anymore, even though the vending machine took it, and it will send it off to the Federal Reserve. So first of all, for a little bit of background, the Federal Reserve in the U.S. controls the supply of money. It prints the money according to the need and gets rid of more money according to the need to prevent our currency from becoming useless. As has been the case in various instances throughout history, like the Weimar Republic in Germany is one of them, but that's another episode. ruh <laughs> So what makes money too unfit to use? According to the Federal Reserve, bills that have holes larger than 19 millimeters can no longer be used. Bills that are torn, dirty, or worn out are also removed. Five, ten, and twenty dollar bills produced before nineteen ninety six are also being removed because of their age, regardless of condition. So the U.S. Bureau of Engraving and Printing creates all of the nation's bills, while the U.S. Mint creates all the coins. But they also destroy money. There is a lovely department called the Mutilated Currency Department. (laughs) (laughs) And you can send your mutilated cash into the department and they will replace it. The staff goes to the currency and then after they check all the checks that they need to be checking, you get a check afterwards. (laughs) The bills are taken to the staff. They're counted with machines and then shredded. However, for extremely mutilated currency, like if you had a house fire or this is actually a case, your dog ate your money, your rent money, this actually happened. The staff does detective work and will actually hand separate, check the numbers and count the bills, and then we'll send you a check for how much the currency they found was. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's like a puzzle and detective work at the Mm -hmm. same time. There was a really great YouTube video about it, and these people must have the patience of saints. I can't even imagine this. So they shred $6 in dirty money every day. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, It used to be taken to the landfill, and now it's recycled and generally taken to compost. Apparently, it makes amazing compost. I know it's made out of cotton. Right. So, and cotton is actually pretty excellent fertilizer. Yeah, there's cotton and there's a little bit of plastic in a lot of our currency. Hmm. Yeah, but a lot of it is cotton. But depending on the branch of the Fed, so there's a few different branches, a few different offices. They may be incinerated, but more and more everything's being composted. The average life cycle of bills, I found this interesting. For dollar bills, it's about 3.7 years. For $5 bills, it's about three years. 
For $10 bills, it's about three years. For $20 bills, it's about five. For $50 bills, it's six, or I'm sorry, 12. And for $100 bills, it's about nine, which I found strange that $50 bills last longer than $100 bills. Maybe it's because they aren't held in ATM. So if you, because typically with an ATM, you have to get it in $20 increments. Hmm. That's Just a good guessing. That's a good thought. Can you get hundred dollar bills from an ATM? I don't know. Oh yeah, I don't either. I've never uh, asked for yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> it seems it's just such a not useful denomination. Exactly. For someone with my amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> so people come up to me when I'm at the cash register at work, and can you break this all the time with hundreds? It's like more of a pain in the butt than anything else. Yeah, like, you got to use the marker. And- I have this big bill. I'm not actually rich. I promise. I just need you to break this <laughs> anyway. So what about old coins? This is directly from the Federal Reserve website, which is actually very informational. Bent or partial coin is coin that has been bent or twisted out of shape, punched, clipped, plugged, fused, or defaced, but that can be identified as to genuineness and denomination. Bent or partial coin is not redeemable at face value. It is redeemable only at its bullion or metal value as established by the director of the unit U.S. Mint. Bent or partial coin must be sent to the mint. So you can't send your bent or partial coins to the mutilated currency division of the U.S. Bureau of Engraving or Printing. You have to send it to the U.S. Mint. And then they will, then their staff is the ones that go through it and you can fill out a form and get your coins back in a check. The old coins are melted down and made into new coins. So yay. So old currency is also collectible. This is something I've found very frequently. Old coins are particularly collectible depending on year. The metal value, and this is important, and the age of the coin, and the rarity, like if it was a misstamp, makes it worth more than its face value. For example, even though you will find wheat pennies constantly, Mm -hmm. there are a few wheat pennies that are actually worth a significant amount of money. Hmm. Yeah. Also, silver coins printed before 1964 are actually silver. They're 90% silver and therefore worth silver value and also tend to be worth more because they're collectible. So Roosevelt and Mercury Dimes, which are really pretty, Washington Quarters, which are just Quarters with Washington on them. You've probably seen them. Walking Liberty, Franklin and Kennedy half dollars minted in 1964 and earlier in 90% silver. The value of most circulated coins minted in the 1920s through 1964 um, is primarily from their silver content. And you can look up online what the price of silver is. It fluctuates, but not that much. And that's where old coins go. The old coins are collectible. The old bills probably won't last that long, but occasionally you'll find them. Very cool. Yeah. I knew a little bit about the old bills because we actually, pre-9-11, which is going to give clues as to how old I am, uh, we were actually (laughs) provided with tickets by our Michigan senator for a tour of the Mint. And it was very interesting to see all the money get shredded. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was rather staggering to my 10-year-old self. And I know that you can also buy souvenir bags of shredded money. Really? 
Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's a little bag that is full of shredded, like it's $10,000, but it's worthless now. So it's just pieces of paper of old, cur- of old bills. That, that would be a really cruel gift. <laughs> like You're a, rich. Like a hilarious, cruel gift. Do you happen to know anything about defaced money and like the rules about defaced money? So defaced, they it's generally, it depends on how defaced it is. I think that it has to be a significant portion of the money. Like it can't be just a word, but it, like graffiti all over the money is you're supposed to turn it into the bank and they'll generally give you another dollar and then send it off to be shredded. Um, that makes me wonder about, have you ever smushed pennies with a train yes i wonder if you could get your pennies worth back yeah you're supposed to fill out a form and send it to the u.s mint i don't know that it'd be worth the, the postage no it absolutely would not <laughs> <laughs> but it you can be like this is my not. special penny and it was smushed i want it back yeah i've heard rumors that you can derail trains with pennies I've always heard that, and I don't like think I don't think that's true. I hope it's not true. Yeah, trains are really, really, really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> you probably shouldn't put pennies on train tracks, kids. You probably shouldn't be anywhere near a train track. Yeah, I used to do it all the time as a kid, and we would put all kinds of stuff on the train tracks because we were stupid, and we probably shouldn't have been doing it, but we did it, and we used to smash a lot of currency that way. <laughs> you got to make your own fun. It, yeah, before this is before the age of things to do in a handheld variety. This is before cell phones. I'm really dating myself with that. But yes, this is before cell phones. You had to actually find stuff to do when your mom kicked you out and told you to go outside. Oh, yeah. I played with a lot of roly polies in my time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd make a little mansions for them. Yes. Yeah. So. I'm right there with you. <laughs> so my topic is, where does light go when it hits plant leaves? Yeah. So I don't know how I'm going to try to keep this sort of broad and general because you can get into some real chemical nitty gritty with photosynthesis. Yes, you can. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep it broad mostly so that what I say is accurate, but also because it's a process that really is better represented visually, like in a model. So I'm going to talk about it instead. <laughs> <laughs> As I was researching this, I was like, man, I could really just put up a diagram. <laughs> it would probably go better. But anyway, it is generally understood that plants make their own food and sunlight is involved. So what I'm going to talk about is how sunlight enters the plant and then what it does. First off, photosynthesis is any organism using light as a component of making their own food. There are bacteria and plants. I think there might be a rare fungus that photosynthesize. And it is not always involving green pigments. We see green leaves on plants most of the time. You might also see some purples. You might also see in some fancy ones, white sections or pinks or not in autumnal times, you'll see oranges and reds and things like that. Those are all different pigments in the plant, in the cell. Uh, A lot of the reds, yellows, oranges are carotenoids. 
So similar to the vitamin A that we consume. Similar, to, it's what makes things like carrots orange. Oh, okay. You've also got anthocyanins, which are the purpley pigments, and then chlorophyll, the green pigment. So those pigments all absorb certain wavelengths of light, so certain colors of light, and then whatever color they show up in our eyes as is what they reflect. So most plants reflect green light in their leaves and absorb the other wavelengths. Okay. There are, say, bacteria in the ocean that photosynthesize, and they show up as purple. They actually absorb blue-green light because it penetrates further into the ocean. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So a lot of times the color of the leaves of a plant will tell you about how it grows and what kind of light conditions are best for it or what humans thought was pretty because we've got a lot of cultivars of plants that are very human-driven and not necessarily what's going to make the the most successful plant in terms of growing. So plants, broadly... Convert the light energy into chemical energy, a.k.a. food. The food is usually carbohydrates, and oxygen is actually a byproduct of this process. So light is critically important, visible light, to making oxygen, to the oxygenation of our atmosphere, and to us and our co-host Shotzi, and (laughs) our friends and family, and anything that breathes in oxygen surviving. Light is a form of radiation. It has energy. It's made up of photons. Photons are, to do sort of a quick and dirty description, little packets of energy that function as both a particle and a wave. It's so weird. Yeah. They're unlike a lot of things that we're familiar with. And light physics is very complicated. So again, I'm trying to keep this broad. The energy from that radiation is absorbed into what are called chloroplasts. So I said green pigment a.k.a. chlorophyll, in the chlorophyll, or in the chloroplasts, the green pigment, a.k.a. chlorophyll, is in what's called a reaction center, where the energy of the light is captured. So the chlorophyll absorbs one photon, and that absorption of that photon causes it to release one electron. Huh. So one tiny negative charge. This starts a cascade reaction. Because when you have a free electron or a free proton, that is a charge imbalance. And so what the surrounding everything is going to try to do is balance out that charge. This is somewhat similar in terms of the reactivity of, say, uh, nuclear isotopes. Mm. They're unstable. They have too many or too few protons. Okay. And in this case, there is an extra electron floating around. This starts a cascade reaction that swaps electrons through a few different processes. It's also known as an electron transport chain. Oh, okay. One good way to visualize this is I I kind of think of a slinky. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the slinky getting pushed downstairs. That's what I think of. It's not necessarily the most accurate, but... That's kind of what I think of when I think of this. (laughs) At the end of the electron transport chains, there is a molecule of hydrogen. And it's a molecule of hydrogen that's missing its electron. Hydrogen is one proton, one neutron, one electron. And I'll get to where this hydrogen came from in just a second. But there's 
a hydrogen without an electron. And what the electron that was free does is it adds that hydrogen to a substance called nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide phosphate. Woo! AKA NADP. Turns it into NADPH. That is then used to start the sort of synthesis of sugars. That floats off and goes into a continued part of the process. The electron transport chain also creates a proton gradient. So we've got an electron floating around, and that creates a charge imbalance. You've got negative floating around. There's pos that means there's a positive imbalance. And that proton gradient, the energy from that proton gradient, because anytime there's an extra electron or an extra proton, there's energy involved. It's sort of unstable. Right. The energy from that is used to create adenosine triphosphate in the chloroplast. Good old ATP. So the light has now catalyzed a bunch of reactions very fairly quickly. And that adenosine triphosphate, a.k.a. ATP, like you said, is used as energy later in the cycle for creating sugars. Awesome. And then, after that, the chlorophyll gets its electron back. Now, where did this hydrogen come from? I was talking about that. And where does, how does chlorophyll get its electron back? It's like getting, you know, Stella getting her groove back and chlorophyll <laughs> getting its electron back. How? <laughs> I don't know if this is how Stella got it. I don't think so. But the light energy is utilized to split water. So fission, molecular fission. What? Yeah. Plants do fission? Yeah. And it's not like isotope fission. Yeah like a nuclear reactor but right the the reaction is involved in photosynthesis is so powerful with the photons that it can split molecules of water so when you have two molecules of water and four photons you will get out of that reaction in the chloroplast four electrons four free hydrogen i don't think it's an isotope four free hydrogens that have a positive charge okay and oxygen O2. Mm -hmm. The O2 is released as a waste product. The hydrogen is used in the nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide phosphate and in synthesizing ATP. The electrons are used for the electron transport chain and then they also go back to the chlorophyll. So it's a reaction where the light knocks the electrons out of place. There's a big cascade. The slinky falls down the stairs and then at the end you pick up the slinky and bring it back to the top of the stairs again. Huh. And in the process, you have split a water molecule and created two components that are then used to make sugar. Holy moly. Yeah. I have always marveled at our ability to break down a process this complicated to the extent that we have. Right. And I guarantee we don't understand everything about it. And including, like, I have a botany degree. I was taught about photosynthesis probably 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there's more detail in what I researched recently than what I was taught. Oh, wow. So that means that they've come up with more information about how the process actually works. So we have oxygen because of photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. And then it's an extremely efficient reaction in that an electron gets knocked out of place and then it gets put right back where it was. That's just crazy. And there is sort of a balance in plants because 
visible light hitting the plant also comes along with infrared, aka heat, and ultraviolet light. Right. Sunlight encompasses all those things. And the plant has to balance getting too hot with getting sunburned, because plants can actually get sunburned, right. with getting enough light to photosynthesize. And there are a lot of adaptations for plants that live in sunny areas. And a lot of plants make what is kind of their own sunscreen. And again, air quotes <laughs> in an auditory medium, just like the model that I should have just posted on our Twitter. <laughs> anyway, plants tend to have to make their own sunscreen. And certain plants will actually go through the process of absorbing the energy during the day, but then going through the process of full on photosynthesis at night to protect themselves from losing too much water. Huh. And so what I'm going to do is make this one of a few parts. Where does the water go in plants? Where does carbon dioxide go in plants? But this is the first one because really it's sort of the first external step in plants to creating sugars. Where does light go in plants? It goes into the chloroplast, into the chlorophyll. The photons actually get absorbed in the chlorophyll. They knock an electron out. That electron becomes part of an electron transport chain wherein a few different substances are created from the energy involved in hydrogen that comes from splitting a water atom or molecule, not an atom. That's so amazing. I'm going to start calling all my plants little fission reactors because I do talk to my plants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my understanding that there have been a lot of attempts to synthetically photosynthesize Mm-hmm. And we haven't really approached the efficiency of plants, which doesn't surprise me because plants are very old organisms. Yes. Just occurred to me. I don't have a reuse project. I don't either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's look around. In the room. <laughs> hmm. Oh, Sarah's got a pretty cool table over here. We're in Sarah's office. Oh, yes. Okay. So I like old suitcases. Old suitcases are cool, and I have made tables out of them. I actually think it's a really fun project. I had this old suitcase, uh, old hard-sided suitcase from uh, Shaw's great-grandmother. It's a very sweet suitcase. It's got really nice clasps on it and everything. Well, anyway, since I have to paint everything, and this one was pretty torn up and and pretty um, bad off. It had a lot of tears and stuff. So I painted it a very cool, swirly, blue-green color, and then I put a piece of wood on the bottom of the suitcase, then drove some nails with some fasteners on the bottom to hold the legs that I got actually at an estate sale, but you can buy... You can buy table legs at Home Depot or Lowe's in the lumber section and then just screwed them on. And now I have a very cool table made out of a suitcase and you can open it and there's storage in there. I actually used to use it for my plants, but my plants have gotten too big for it in my office. So I had to put them on a shelf, but it's really cool. It occurs to me that it would be a really awesome crafting table because you could put your supplies inside exactly and i have two or three suitcases downstairs that i just recently won in an auction for a dollar that i'm gonna make as tables then too very cool yeah my wheels are turning i might do the same thing (laughs) you can have some of those suitcases (laughs) (laughs) i don't have time to do it all the time only if you have some leftover i don't want to steal your i only want the little one okay (laughs) (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.